Unsee the future. The Hopi Chatty Bits. Hello and welcome to Unsee the Future, the Hopi Chatty Bits with me. It's only Timo Peach. How are you, sausage? It is the podcast in which I meet artists, solar punks, and change makers reimagining the stories we think we're in. How are you feeling this week as you consider trying to change the story that you are in? Honestly, uh, I, I feel increasingly helpless at being able to change a thing about mine. And so this journey is, in a way, a very honest one of mine, meeting people who are practicing ways to get on and do that. It's from lots of different perspectives, from high and low business, from everyday life, and thinking also very big. And I'm extremely pleased to have my guest join me today for this sixth episode. Who is my guest today? She is a Senior Vice President for Sustainability Solutions at the global engineering brand Wood. She's co-founder of UN Global Compact, the SDG Ambition. She's a World Economic Forum advisor on climate governance. She's the co-founder of the New Zero World Campaign, and she is the author of Science Fiction, A Starship for Enterprise Innovation. Are you seeing why I'm getting her on? She is a mentor, a speaker, and an advisor to business and organizations on tech and social governance around the world. She sits on the World Humanitarian Forum's Tech for Good board, along with oh, numerous other board positions, championing thinking found in the intersection of innovation, impact leadership, and sustainability and social justice. She works with people at the highest levels of corporate responsibility, trying to help them connect to the possibilities of transformation but she came to a realization that the creative storytelling of science fiction could help more global leaders picture alternative futures. Ha! Huh. She says the most important question to ask ourselves when we look at gender equality, for example, is whether we are solving gender equality challenges based on the past, the present, or the future. And she also says, activate your science fiction mindset and change the world. It's my great pleasure to welcome to Unsee the Future, Anne Rosenberg. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Uh, what an introduction. <laughs> and honestly, it is a fraction of the things I could have said about you. Now, before we go any further, it is, of course, 9 a.m. in L.A. It is midday noon in New York. It is 5 o'clock tea time in Bournemouth. Where in the world are you? So I'm in LA. I live in LA. I live in, I think, the best place you can be when you work with a science fiction mindset. Uh, I call it the La La Land. You do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a very good place. Well, we'll come to how you got there. I think I'd like to start by asking you about how you got into this, because you say, you said to me that you come from a, a, a very conservative engineering sector and you, you learned a lot from your time at SAP. So, you know, you know a lot about corporate systems and how that culture thinks. How, to begin with, how did you awaken to the challenges of sustainability? So um, I like when you say the awakening because I, I don't think I, you know, I, I, it, it didn't come to me in, it, it was like an awakening. And I had the opportunity to move to Silicon Valley for around eight, nine years ago uh, and was part of this whole singularity movement, exponential thinking. And it was at the time where, you know, you had all the many exponential technologies really uh, becoming key for, for how we were building and working with innovation and what, the whole thing about design thinking. So you could say the creativity right. Uh, accelerated. And then I had the opportunity to move to New York uh, a little bit around when the 17 Global Goals um, uh, was introduced by, by UN. And um, I've been working with innovation all around the world for many years using the principles of innovation in our Silicon Valley. But when I was asked to move to New York and build up a big innovation space, um, I, I always do get like, what is the soul of the city? And the mm. soul of New York City, because you have the headquarters of UN there, is, of course, yeah. impact. Um, and then my awakeness came where I also became really embarrassed, you can say, because I've been in technology now for more than 22 years. 
And so, so you can say, I have not historically been thinking about sustainability and impact, but when I, but when I understood the magic of technology and you can do anything you want with technology today and the, the obligation we have uh, to work and build solutions, uh, that was where I begin to see that, and that was my awakeness into that anything you do with technology, you need to do for good. And and so, so I think around six, seven years ago, I begin to understand the responsibility we have as human beings uh, where we build businesses, build solutions. Uh, yeah. did, did people around you share that? Did you have a moment when you walked into your office in slow motion at SAP thinking everything looks different or was it a, a slow thing? Did others follow it with you? Did you feel alone? What was the experience like at that yeah, point? I, I, I think it, it, it was very slow. Um, so I write a lot of books. And hmm. when I was in Silicon Valley, that was where I got my understanding about open innovation, because that's what defines Silicon Valley. This is what I call the Innovation 1.0. Yeah. Um, and then I begin to, together with a company called Startup Guide, we begin to build, like write books around the world about the soul of innovations. And I realized innovation is not just in Silicon Valley. It's happened everywhere in the world. That's what I call Innovation 2.0, distributed innovation. Yes. And then Innovation 3.0 is where I realize okay hold a moment why do we innovate what are we trying to achieve what are we building right and i realized that we were innovating without having a bigger purpose a bigger ambition a bigger mm -hmm. reason uh, and obligation uh, and that is where when i moved to new york and this is what i call innovation tree that always that when you innovate is that you need to do it for purpose so anything you do you need to do it for a higher course yeah. a higher good course yeah. and that can that can guide your design thinking better can't it yeah it, yeah. it guides you totally it's the principles for what you design yeah but you know we think i often use this lazy phrase uh that we live in a kind of cult of engineering and and silicon valley is the front end of that where everybody thinks they love innovation and things that happen there trickle down but but does anyone really want innovation <laughs> bosses will say oh oh yeah we must we must have some innovation, but do they really? How do you find inculcating change of any sort to to people in corporate spaces? I I love that question because I remember I was always the awkward person before I moved to Silicon Valley because I'm the type of person who generate a lot of ideas, and not not everybody appreciate that because it yeah. it, it, it gives a lot of disruption, right? And people are always like, oh, yeah, yeah, you have so many ideas, but you, do you really execute it? And I always execute my ideas. So when I came to Silicon Valley, I realized there was many people like me. Yeah. And I always said to people, I have a secret backpack. Nobody can see my backpack. But in my backpack, all my ideas is. And maybe the idea is not for right now. Maybe it's for a later moment. I will never forget it. And then I will pull it up and then I will execute on it, right? And yeah. that's the philosophy that you that you live and breathe in Silicon Valley. I remember um, I always thought every single day in Silicon Valley was when I lived there, best place in the world to live, is that, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, the hardest thing was that every day you generated so many ideas because you lived in an environment where everybody does that. Yeah. that you wanted to to initiate something every single day right, right. Uh, so so uh, so yeah but i agree you know you have what you call the people who get fueled by that and then you have people who feel this is great but you know it's also very disruptive right it is uh, yeah it is and it also sounds tiring i i kind of <laughs> i want to sit down after i've spoken with you because you get so many ideas buzzing through me and you've done so much your cv is incredibly rich and impressive you're very doish and that must that must cost you in energy how do you recharge yourself at a very human level you're working at high level stuff generating a lot of ideas how do you reconnect with the earth yourself i I think that um, a person said to me, just like, you know, when people love to do extreme sport, that kind of like that which is important for some people. I'm the person who like extreme way of using my minds, like mm -hmm. thinking ideas. So I think that's actually how I, you know, that's how I relax that how that's how that's how I work. Right. Yeah. And um, 
So I think it's important for me is to be surrounded by people who share that. Right. Uh, for me, what is very tiring is if people kind of say, no, 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 can't do, can't do, can't do. Right. Uh, where I see it, but it's not just about creating ideas. For me, it's also about executing the ideas and see the impact by that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like um, when people ask me how I keep being creative. Well, it's it's what energizes me. So, you know, I, I have to make myself stop doing some things. But you must get no, 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 quite a lot. Although you bring a lot of energy and make people enthuse people, you must get working at you do at high level in corporate life that you're in the heart of the world machine with all its problems and it's very engineered problems and you understand them, but you must get people resistant to change and hard to do that. I think that for people like you and I who, who kind of get energized by, by generating ideas, we are at a really key moment right now where even the most conservative corporates, companies and people who are very you know, uh, linear thinking are being challenged because when we now work with, uh, you know, the whole digitalization of the energy sector, for example, or we solve the big issues that we have in front of us around climate or any of the 17 global goals, this is not a linear approach. And people have realized this. People are mm. pledging for gold and need to be, be fulfilled and they do need to be fulfilled, right? There's no way around it by 2030, by 2040, by 2050. And so you can say the entrepreneurship have never been more important yeah. to activate in every single person. I mean, and yes. so, so I think that, that the whole world is being shaked up on that right now. Uh, so, so I think I, I don't feel the push as I did before yeah. because there is an urgency uh, around us. Yeah, an urgency that is creating a great era of innovation and opportunity. Now, as a way of getting to the kind of central theme I'm so excited to talk to you about, you're making me think that the challenge here is one of transition. And I've long thought that we, we, we can't afford, and I mean that literally, we can't afford to leave anyone out of the design process. And at one end, that means really rethinking all our bad habits about who we do and don't invite around the design table at the beginning and how to listen to them and make them feel welcome into the whole process. But at the other end, there are those who are right in the corporate world, up in the World Economic Forum, up at the highest levels. You go to Davos and mix with all that lot. You know, there's a lot of people who'd be cynical about that. And, you know, you work for a big global engineering firm, Wood PLC. They talk a really good game about sustainability. They're still winning uh, accounts in, in the Middle East to help facilitate ongoing oil and gas stuff in Saudi Arabia and others. How do you, as Senior Vice President for Sustainability and a creative human, how do you synthesize transition in your role and put those things together for that company and for yourself? It's, so when I came to Silicon Valley for this around nine years ago, uh, Silicon Valley was a place where a lot of corporation had like outlets and mm. it was in those outlets that you discussed the innovation ideas. And then they were seeded back into the big corporations that the company had around the world. Yeah. Today, this has been decentralized. So when you go into big corporation today, whatever is Wood or SAP, where I worked before, you have your own internal um, uh, entrepreneurship program inside the company. You collaborate with accelerated startups. You have venture companies. Uh, you have a venture side of your company. Uh, so so the copper world have actually built up today, I will say, like a very innovative culture. Right. Um, and if you go into uh, World Economic Forum, for example, they have a huge innovation. Uh, uh, they have thought leadership innovation, uh, work a lot with, again, with, with the different venture arm of, of corporations and accelerators and so on. So I would say the last eight years, what we saw in Silicon Valley has now really been injected into mm. organizations themselves. Of course, uh, when I was SAP, I was responsible for SAP's university network. We've had 3,500 universities. So, so this, you could call it the network of network where universities are linked to accelerators and corporations and venture companies and so and government. So there's this huge network. And I will say... The last two years, public-private partnership has become key 
So, right. so yeah. I, I will say this: the world has shifted. People have come. I think special COVID have educated us on that you cannot isolate it. So yeah. issues only in partnerships. You cannot isolate the issues. You can only do it in partnerships. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you and I have come very interestingly to some similar viewpoints from very different starting points. Now, I am a, a bit of a science fiction nerd. And when I'm with my nerd mates, I feel like I'm not qualified nearly enough to be a nerd. Uh, they're all so smart. But around a lot of other people, I would be a sci-fi nerd. You're not. And yet we've met on this idea that science fiction can be a massive way to reframe the future. How did you arrive at that? So you're totally right. Um, it was around, what is it now, five years ago, my first year in New York. Um, not a science fiction fan at all. Did not watch science fiction movies. Uh, of course, love startup acceleration, innovation. Recently lived in Silicon Valley into New York. Um, um, but was not in those circles at all. And then I was asked by UN to go and speak an event in Europe. And uh, it was about um, the uh, the fall industry revolution. And Sophia the robot was sitting next to me. Uh, and with, 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 with at that time and today, it's, not a, it's, it's very normal, right? And we were sitting and have a conversation together with some other panelists. And I fell back to New York and my husband, he put on the... Uh, Westworld, and not the new Westworld, but the the first Westworld with Yul Brynner in it from the seventies. Yes, yes. And I, you know, sometimes you know, I'm the type of person who see patterns. I like, I, I see things, and I stop up, and I think, what's going on here? So I was sitting there, and normally I would just not really watch it, but because I just had had Sophia the robot next to me, right next and to it, looked like her. And I was beginning to counting the years and how in the um, world did they know? It doesn't make sense. And then that was on a Saturday, a Sunday. And then on the Monday, Singularity University had an event in New York that I went to. And there was a boot camp about science fiction, science fiction thinking. So at that time, I was, I was running a big innovation space at, at Hudson Yards uh, in the, the High Line in New York. Right. And the, my team and I, I, I came up and I said, you guys, you might think that I'm crazy, but listen here. This is Monday evening. We, ha we, had, a, we had had a meetup that evening. The rest of the week, we're going to see maximum science fiction movies. And then we are going to see if we can find correlations to something that we know exists today. Just like... I saw Sophia the robot, and I saw Westworld. Yes. And so we so so we put up this huge document where there were so many things that science fiction writers or science fiction movies has been talking about for the last one hundred years that actually exist today, right? Mm. Uh, and you know some of the Star Trek, the flip flop. You you know a lot of examples. And so and then I was like, okay, there's something going on. And I will say one other thing that sparked this moment was that I was in the process of getting my green card. Ah. And I was sitting on Manhattan uh, down in the, uh, and, and I had this uh, uh, green card doctor appointment and uh, they had this funny enough big, big, big screen where there was Charlie Chaplin uh, from 1928. You probably remember Charlie Chaplin in 1928. He had this thing, you know, he, he doesn't speak, you know, it's, it's all mimics, right? And it's called the modern the modern machine, and he's yes. sitting and getting feeded, right? Yeah. And so, so from from Sophia the robot to Westworld to Charlie Chaplin, nineteen twenty eight, and doing that exercise about looking at college, I realized there's something going on here. So I started writing a book that actually became a history book. This is the book here. Yes, uh, it is. About that big. Uh, is, with, yes, exactly. And um, and I was probably a little bit too early for my time. It came out for. It came out of World Economic Forum uh, one year before COVID. So that's like three years ago. And it's been interesting because uh, we, we were running a lot of boot camps uh, at Hudson Yard. And you, you kind of think that the people that will come to stuff like this is mainly new type of startup and accelerators, but it was not. It was people that has been, who has a love and passion and some Ooh. call it denier planning. You can call science fiction thinking denier planning, right? But it's all about looking into the future. It's like a time traveling thing that you do. Yeah. So the book has a methodology where you 
you you you imagine that what is really funny you the book actually and that was before all the pledges the book talks about you are in 20 that two exercise that two exercises you are in 2030 and you are in 2050 this is three years ago i wrote about this and you think back where you are today and then you begin to figuring out how to build the future right yes. and what is interesting about this is that when we all are looking at what is happening in the so that's the reason why we have the biggest sci-fi moment right now this is the book also concluded this and say science fiction thinking has not been created to create science fiction movies we love that but has been created for the time we live in today to help us to build solutions to solve the big issues we have in front of us right you yeah. can talk about COVID. You can talk about the climate crisis, right? And if you look at CEOs and go back to your first question about, but corporate conservative companies, corporate companies, big companies, big CEOs, they are literally coming up today with pledges where they're saying, I'm committing this company to be net zero by 2050. That is a science fiction moment because yeah. of course that person, have nobody knows, that person don't know how to do that. Yeah, that is historically, uh, and uh, so I think that to your point before, we live in the biggest science fiction moment of our of of the time right now, mm -hmm. and it's when you and I met, you had no idea that I was into this because there no, was didn't. conversation was about, and the last I think the last half year, people have been reaching out to me because it looks like the time is now to speak about this and yeah yeah have some conversation about it but 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 i will say i probably took because every person have a sci-fi in themselves and mm. it's funny that i live in la now because the book also predicts that la will become the most important place to help the world with this mindset mm. and it is because when you are in la of course not just people living in la but the this the, the soul of la is this, as I call it, the la-la land. It is yeah. like you are allowed to think like this. It's okay to think like this, right? That's interesting, yes. Because at the same time, the challenge that LA has got is that it's industry. It's yeah. business like every other business that you've been part of in the sense that they have particular goals. We've got an economic system that wants shareholders to be blessed rather than ordinary nobodies. And it's a lot safer business to churn out nostalgia and look backwards. And so our our challenges I identify is that our science fiction has been showing us lots of things that can go wrong. Over the last 40 years, it's been terrible at showing us things that could go right and doing what you're suggesting, which is go to the future and bring back artifacts, as uh, Julian Bleeker said last week from the Near Future Laboratory, also in LA. Going to the future that you want, bring back an artifact and look at the humanity of it. What does it imply? How do you think La La Land can get much better at those more Wakanda-like futures or, you know, dif different futures to the ones we've been taught? I, I think, uh, so in the book, I have like this, uh, it's like a formula uh, in the book uh, that that you need to use when, because we, we don't, we don't, so, so the whole thing I spoke about, like innovation one, two, and three is right here, right? Yeah. And then there is like, like this, uh, it's like, it, it's, it's kind of saying that, you need to take science fiction thinking, you need to take the UN Global Goals for Sustainable Development and exponential thinking is equal to innovation 4.0. So yeah. you can say, what is super key for how we are going to help the world to go through this difficult time we are in today uh, uh, and to become net zero by 2050 and all the things that we need to, to do to build a better humanity. It needs to be with the ambition of the 17 global goals. So, so to, yeah. as, as you said before, it is your design principles. When you build a business, when you transform a business, uh, it needs to be like this. But the thing is that you can use the linear thinking. You need to have this more like, you know, it's like accelerating your innovation mindset. And mm. it's interesting because right today, actually here in LA, uh, we have uh, the NF LA, uh, NFT, where you are seeing right now the whole metaverse, NFTs, and Web3.0 is becoming, I would say, it's beginning to become mainstream. Yeah. And that, and, and again, this is a whole new, you can say, technology mindset. But again, 
everything we design there need again to be to support humanity, right? Yes. Technology for good in any kind of contrast that we're doing it. And the role of LA is that because LA, the film industry, and the way of thinking and the way of imagining, normally in the corporate world, you don't imagine. You can, you're not allowed to. I mean, wow, it, that's it, a quote. Right. But this is what we need to do now. And, and yes. that's the reason why you go into an industry like the film industry and, and that mindset, you bring it into the corporate industry. So yes. this book that I wrote is not, I mean, people who love science fiction are allowed to read it, but it's really for the corporate world, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, there's an implication to things like the metaverse. It's, it's you know, Web 3.0 as we're being sold it is just more of the same. Only now, you know, you're going to have crappy JPEGs thrown at you in the street. Uh, how... There's a there's a whole sort of creative, I would say, art mentality that needs injecting into there so that we don't hide in the metaverse, we don't hide in second life, we don't run away from the soil and the problems, but we use this sort of stuff to say what if. Is there a mindset in Silicon Valley amongst billionaire business people? Are they energized by this? Does it does it ring with their humanity when you talk about it? Can you see their eyes light yeah, up? Yeah, and I so I was just a South by Southwest and it's kind of yeah, like the whole world have gone 360 now on the metaverse and NFTs and with 3.0 uh, uh, for as like in a, in a mainstream way. Yes, I definitely see that the, the, the people who, who are living that world, it's key that they do it with sustainability and impact. Yeah. And that means that when you, you build a metaverse or and you act in a metaverse setting or you're building an NFT or act in an, work with the NFTs or building solution with the distributed letter with the Web3.0 platform, it is important that, again, you do it for good. So, so you can say, mm. if you, you go back to the, the design principle, whatever you operate in the metaverse, whatever you operate, you're building a, a business in Web2.0, Web3.0, Whatever you do, design principle is always based on the ESG and SDGs, always. And that's the framework, isn't it? And, and yeah. science fiction led me to the SDGs as well. Is there a, um, I mean, for you, is there a, a science fiction story that points to design good or how to do a, a good future? Is there a story that's especially resonated with you and think to, to picture the future closer to what you want? I think that one still needs to be told. Um, I think that um, I'm part of an institute uh, that you also we talked about, which is called uh, with the global brain, which is called the New Zero World, mm. where we are, uh, where we are going to really we are using the SGs as the core design principles, and and so there's both about the new narratives. There's like uh, we are capturing a lot of film footage to, we talk to new heroes. Mm. Uh, AY, as you know, is one of them where he has the battery to how he's influenced the whole music industry. Uh, yeah. My colleague, AY that. Young from the Global Goals Music Roadshow, whose birthday it is today, by His the way. His birthday today, yeah. yes. Uh, so, so I think that, um, and I'm also part of another institute which is called the uh, ESG. It's a big um, entrepreneurship sports generation where, we had last year, we had uh, 600,000 startups that work on solution for the 17 global goals. Yeah. And we are also bringing that into the metaverse. So I think that you will see, um, th that's what my mission is on with the metaverse and then NFTs and we 3.0 is let us not repeat, yeah. let us learn from the past and build technology for good, right? So we build it in with the right intentions uh, so, so, but that's also my feeling. What's what is going on? I mean, I'm excited about the next three days uh, to see what's going to be the big conversations. And the following week, you have the big um, uh, cryptocurrency event in Miami going on, right? So, mm -hmm. I will say to all the listeners, I mean, if you're not in that space yet, uh, uh, get involved. I, I'm not saying that you should leave the Web 2.0 world. I'm saying that you are, you are seeing a bridging happening now, yeah. which I also think why science fiction 
I mean, what I'm excited about, I've been waiting for this moment. I know you have two that <laughs> science fiction become main thinking is becoming mainstream. I think it's happening now, right? Oh, it really has yeah. changed from when I was a yeah. kid. Yeah, it's not nerdy now. It's just no. accepted storytelling. Yeah. In fact, when I the way I fell into this was as a as a I came from an artist, and because I've always liked science fiction, and a lot of those who follow me as as the artist Momo Tempo also like science fiction. Uh, I just thought it was a no-brainer to take my amigos into space and explore the themes of sci-fi. And as I sat with all the big themes of science fiction and started writing songs around these different stories, there was a question in my head that just wouldn't go away. It got louder and louder. And that is, which of these futures is the most likely? Now, sci-fi doesn't predict. It, it's more like what if, isn't it? But I've, I found myself in a slightly different way to you, we're not so dissimilar. I made a book. It isn't officially published, but I just wanted to get it down into this kind of document that uh, felt more like um, I knew I wasn't just making an album of music. I knew I'd be making a sort of a, an experience uh, called The Shape of Things to Hum. And uh, I hummed and hard and wrote the wrote the music for this and felt that it was that, that what we can do from these stories of all the mistakes is simply learn from them. And so I went on to make it into a live experience where we too imagined that the audience was in the future. How did we get here? Well, we taught ourselves all these other futures and chose a different one. Do you, which led me to the subject of solar punk and an actual alternative future that I'd not heard of until a few years ago. Is that a word you've come across much in your conversations? I wouldn't say I have, but I, I will also say that, I don't know, I, I think a lot of things that, I I would say talking, to the talk that you and I have right now will be a little bit crazy talk if you go a little bit back in time. Yeah. Uh, now it is a needed talk. So mm. I think that you we probably begin to hear it more and more going forwards. And I love what you talked about, like, because I think that is happening. I had a talk this morning about, uh, you know, be scoping out how we would do the metaverse with this big uh, entrepreneurship sports generation about should we create our own metaverse? Should we be part of other metaverses? This whole thing about what what metaverse do you want to be part of? What world do you want yeah. to be part of? Which is crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Um, so, so. I think the talk that you and I have now, what you, the question you just asked me, would become normal talk going forward. I'm actually heading over in two hours where female quotient, Shelly Salas. Yes, you were talking with them at uh, South by Southwest, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. They are launching, uh, they're the biggest private women movement in the world, and they right. are launching their uh, female quotient lounge in the metaverse, right? So, yeah, I, I, I think we are going into a mainstream moment soon with this mm. whole thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you've championed female voices in tech and some of the most basic ways that equity is missing from a lot of business thinking. And still at the top of a lot of engineering firms, it's blokes <laughs> and it's white blokes still running it. There's a lot of sort of, of things to try and run through there. But I'm interested in how you think indigenous voices as well as female voices voices from anywhere but the northern the global north can get around design tables with the rest of us how can we learn from them what are the doors that can open to them to come and sit in the un or sit in silicon valley or come to davos how's that unfolding actually being able to hear those different perspectives and stories so the so the, the institute that I'm part of, the New Zero World, is exactly around that where wow. we, uh, I mean, you, first of all, UN have always been a place that capture everybody, yeah. right? So, but, but the thing about UN is that how do we make sure that the world see that? Yeah. That become the, the, like the norm for how we design things. Mm, and um, yes. so the New Zero World uh, uh at, at COP, we, we captured a lot of Fujis and we showed it in, 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 in one of your other programs uh, where, where we had those voices speaking. 
And and I and I think it goes back to uh, how we design the design principles, mm. who we invite to the table, how we include people. Um, my, one of my key design principles for everything that I do is that everything I design and a part of need to be affordable, accessible, and scalable. Right. Because if it is not, it's not for everybody. Everything you do every single day needs to be for everybody. Otherwise, Affor- you're not inclusive. Right. Affordable, accessible, and scalable. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, in a way, you're the, in a way talking with the the UN and working with them as you do the Global Compact uh, Accelerator that you helped to found to try and get corporate thinking much more clued up with the SDGs. A useful framework I've spoken about a lot. You know, the the UN is a lot like the system it's trying to help in that it's it's sort of technocratic. And I would go as far as saying the UN is creatively illiterate. I'm being rude there. But it but culturally, it doesn't know how to put art into things. And and I wonder how we unlock that. To me, that art is the missing SDG. It's the one that unlocks all the others because it's concerned with the way we see things. And all the others are kind of, well, here's the job, here's all the problems. And it's a very useful framework. But how do we start putting art thinking right to the middle of our sustainability hopes, do you think? I, I, so, so for me, UN uh, is is holding, you could say, uh, you you. so when people ask me, who do you work for? I say I work for UN, even though I don't work for UN, but I work with yeah. the, for the UN principle. So the UN is holding like is holding the 17 global goals. Yes. And whatever you have in your backpack, you you support that mission. That that's how mm. that's how I see it. I like that. So if we, if you if you take AY with his battery tour who is a youth ambassador for UN, he used the music mm. uh, um, and UN give him like the you can say empowerment but but of course you are not going to write the music. No, you'll be writing the music. So I think that you and I, I see you. They are holding the the common denominator for for the world, yes. showing us the direction and the ambition where we need to go. But we as human being, we need to in, in a in a you could say in a collective way come together whatever we are in art music my husband is a photographer right and he do a lot of uh, impact storytelling with his pictures right yes yeah. uh, so so it's more or less like we all have an obligation uh, my side is technology so i work with technology for good yeah uh and and so i do what i can do based on my universe and he do what he can do with his universe right yeah yeah what you have in your backpack i love it and and also the very positive view of the un holding space it's holding space for these ideas and and that is why i still believe that we need the un it's just the un's part of the the world's challenge to to that we have a, a world machine to turn inside out you mentioned uh charlie chaplin's modern times wow how prescient that is from a hundred years ago nearly that's still the problem we've got isn't it to to get out of the machine wow that was visionary and how slow we are to change yeah but i and and that's funny because with the book here it actually turned out to become a historic it's a history book right and and that's why i also want to you know you know i'm just like you a person get very easily excited and love innovation Yes. But but if you go 100 years back, you know, there are people like us who who work with innovation and optimistic mindsets. But but at that time, you know, in the end, I always talk about the Maslow's pyramid. It's like the fundamental thing in life that we need to make sure works, right? So yep. for 100 years ago, with the book also talk about, you know, we had to, it was kind of funny. I saw an old movie the other day and I actually saw that. Uh, there was too many horses in New York City, right? So what yeah. happened? The car came around. Now there are too many cars in New York City. So what's going to come around, right? So you can say at any point of time in history, we have had um, breaking moments mm. where big innovation came around. And uh, and 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 that is... Um, so, so I think science fiction is equally important today as it was one year ago. The yeah. difference is just that we have technology in a way we didn't have one year ago. Then we had something else. But but the history is repeating itself, definitely mm. repeating itself. Yeah, it, it is. But it's more like what I'm learning. You're making me think of a, something I've been learning recently more and more, that, that life 
repeats, but it doesn't. It spirals. We're spiraling through the universe. And so when you come around, uh, you're not actually coming around again. You're coming sort of round forward. And I I found in my personal life when something drops into my life, it might look really random with what's led up to it. But coming around the spiral forward, I'll pick it up again and go, ah, that's what that's for. And I think that's how life works. We're corkscrewing through the universe. And now we're coming back to these issues, but we're a network species. We're we're fundamentally a different creature because of Web 2.0 and all the craziness. This feels like a moment, doesn't it, in history? I think it is a moment in history. I think the moment that we just came out of, we are still coming out of COVID, with 3.0 is becoming massive. Uh, the climate crisis is real. Yeah. Uh, um, I think we as human being has, um, I think because of COVID and of course now we have what's going on in 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 Ukraine and with Russia. I, I think that I think there is a, a moment in time now where it, it will go definitely main, in many ways into history what's going on right now but yeah. and and with covid but but i think that the i, I remember bill gate write about this in his book uh, about we are at, at a moment in time where we are going to see the biggest innovation of our time mm. at this point of course there'll be other moments like this like 100 years into the future or 200 years into the future but it is a specific moment we are in right now yeah it, it feels like it doesn't it do you feel and do people around you, when you do go to the bigger meetings and everybody's on meeting tracks and you go to here and you go there and it was quite doish, I know, at these events. I've been to plenty of them. But um, do you, do they feel optimism through the middle of what's happening? The climate crisis is getting worse with the data by the day. Things look more and more inevitable. Old stories are now really producing psychodrama across the world and challenging energy security. This is a big and dumb question, but to get out of bed and be excited as you do, do you see threads of light through this or or is that not how you work? It, I, I think that people need to be realistic. Uh, yeah. So when people, like, when people, for example, say, why can I not measure my mission, right? Emission 1, 2, 3, why can I do that? Or why have I not built a business or solutions or products that is designed around ESG? Why why yeah. don't I have that? There's a reason for that because we historically, if you go back in time and you look at how we build businesses or how we do the investment or you look at project management philosophies or the Sigma Lean or all of that yeah. good stuff yeah. that, and, and, and management consulting philosophies and so on, all of that did not include sustainability. No, and, <laughs> no weirdly. And, and the way you were leading, like, you know, when you went to a secretary MBA program, so the whole school system, it was not part of the curriculum. Okay. No. Fair, and, and I know from coming from the enterprise software business, historically, we did not build solutions around that. It was not mm. part of how we did it. So now we realize the urgency for this. And that's the reason why it's, I'm optimistic to see how companies, how CEOs is committed, how countries are committed, mm-hmm. how technology companies are building solutions, how consultant companies are, are, are driving transformation and transitions and, and, and how universities around the world, I mean, if you go to Denmark, middle school, kindergartens, universities, they all teach on the SDGs, right? Yeah. Uh, the role the UN plays today, I am optimistic to see how fast this has been possible to ramp this up. That's why, but I'm also realistic because if you look at the energy sector, for example, right? The energy sector is one of the sectors that has not been digitalized. Uh, mm. It comes from a very old tradition way to work with energy resources. And to go in and digitalize, not digitalize the industry is one thing, but digitalize an industry that has so many you can say connections into every daily yep. situations of companies and people's life and so on. So it's like core things. Of course, it's a massive change and it will take time. Yeah. Um, and there was a great report coming, coming out about, if you look at hydrogen, which is one of the more mature new uh, energy resources. I mean, we need to understand that some of the energy resources that 
we are looking into, many of them actually are mainly in prototyping, are not ready for mainstream. And so when people get negative around this, I'm like, but 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 look at look at it for two seconds. The reason why is that we haven't focused on it before. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like there's so I want people that's why I love history. I want people to look and say, what were our focus for 10 years ago, five years ago, right? Why did we do what we did? Yeah. And then don't just I believe in magic, I believe in science fiction thinking, but I'm also realistic about the things do take time to do, mm, right? Yeah, is that I totally agree. Uh, you're making me think of, well, I mean, firstly, yeah, government is much like the energy sector and it's very slow to digitise. And, uh, and it's not just, your implication is it's not just the tech, it's digital culture. It's it's yeah. thinking in a more connected way. That's we're, we're very slow. Never mind then jumping into the connect the, the super connected vision of sustainability. But you make me think of um, a theme and idea that my lovely wife Caroline is ex- exploring in a book: imperfect sustainability. It's a sort of silent watchword over everything I do with Unsee the Future because we haven't published it yet. But it's that idea that we have to come with the rucksack we've got, to use your language. We have to come with all the imperfections. Yeah. Uh, and all the complexity of who we are as people and make a start anyway and feel that we're allowed to. So I agree with you that where you and I might still be not exactly being run down by the climate crisis, we can still think straight. We still have water working in our taps. We still have food. We can think straight enough to see that there's some freaking exciting things trying to happen. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I have one more question for you before we end. And I ask all my guests this. It's the idea of leaving an ancestral artifact. This could be an object, symbolic. It could be an idea, a notion, a a poem or something. If you were to leave something forward to future generations to share from your heart now or from your work or a wish for them, what would it be? I think it would be a statement of uh, if if I should do it today and I should bury it, it should be a statement of where the world is today. Um, because again, back to the history, we tend, and I think that's what this book here learned me a lot because we tend to just you know, we should do that. Look at what is the next thing, what is the next thing, what is the next thing? And that we we tend to forget that there's so much we can learn from. Remember, mm. my science fiction activation came because I saw Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. And I saw Westworld. Yeah. So so I think I think I think step like being allowed to write down right now, and that's why I applause people who do documentary and films, who, who write about the life we live, the moment we are right now. And it's super important for the generation to come to understand that because there's so much to learn from it. When I think about the metaverse, uh, I'm excited to see um, Nike just came out with, with how successful they are operating in the metaverse. But, but right now you can say, what does it mean to, and there has been an attempt before to do the metaverse, but I think the time is potential and now to get that to work. But yeah. what does it mean? So when we go into 20, 50, 40 years into the future, the understanding of the moment we are in right now, I, I think it's what, so I think it will probably, if you ask me to right now, or sit down and write about today, this is the date. It's AY's birthday. No, today's the date. <laughs> it is. And uh, we are on our way, hopefully out of COVID. Uh, we are seeing that the WIP 3.0 is really beginning to accelerate. We are, we have a climate crisis in front of us and um, uh, we what's going on, of course, in, in, in Russia and Ukraine. And this is the moment. And, and just like the moment when I wrote this book and I went back in my research and saw that you know, what happened in the beginning in New York City, uh, mm. that was too many horses. I think because I think the, the, the strengths as we have a human being to understand the world we live in is reflection. We need to reflect mm. and understand. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of what I would do. Uh, history is super important to understand the world we live in and where we come from. Yeah. Yes. 
And it, that's how we re- reflect back into heritage yeah. to reflect forward in our hopes. Yeah. Mm. And you never know. You never know. Remember to see the sci-fi movie. Only, only the, only the, not the, not the e- evil science fiction movement, but but the good science fiction movie. You never know if you see something there that become something that become really important for you going forward. You never know, right? You so that's why I'm know. telling people: don't just watch the science fiction movie. Learn from what you see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Wonderful thoughts. Anne Rosenberg, it's been a, a, a tremendous honour to have you on with me, sharing your thoughts from your experience. Thank you for joining me on the Hopi Chatty Bits. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. <laughs> Unsee the future. That ability to reflect, huh? What Anne is talking about there is emotional truth. And that she's finding in all the circles she's moving in, in in circles you might be very cynical about in in ordinary life, a humanity trying to emerge, people trying to connect with emotional truth. That is the job of storytelling. Uh, I can't help thinking of a a film like Silent Running. And uh, that's been a watchword over me for years. And watching it again, it's... um, It's quite harrowing, actually, because I feel we're steps closer to that. The idea, if you've not seen it, that all of the natural world is put into space sort of in an arc, but nobody cares about it. And eventually the the logistics company wants the spaceships back, so they just throw all the nature into space. Gosh, are we on a knife edge between transcendence and collapse, as the solar punks would put it. A huge thanks to Anne there. I do urge you to uh, check out her TED Talk. Go back and find out uh, a Starship Enterprise innovation. Activate your science fiction thinking, everyone. Uh, Do check that out, and I'll put the links down on the page here to all her work and what she's up to. A fascinating person talking to so many people. What energy. We need those of us who've still got the ability to hold space, to use that holding space to reflect and think about what if. I think our futures depend on it. This isn't just a fantasy of the rich. You and I have got to hold space for what futures we want and then move in and embody them. Now, you can find all the foundational episodes of Unsee the Future's idiosyncratic style of research, exploring the big themes of our era of crisis, along with all previous Hopi chatty bits at unseethefuture.com. There you can also find exclusive previews of the new book from my findings that I am indeed writing. UTF, how to think like an artist and change the world. Nine practices of art that can help you imagine the story you think you're in. Now, you can encourage me, if you'd like to, by becoming a Momo Amigo and joining the Unsee the Future mailers. And you can find out all about me as a music artist at momotempo.co. Go and dive into the crazy pocket universe (laughs) that is my creative context. You will. You will love it. What story do you think you are in? And are you figuring out yet how to change it? Let's encourage the more hopeful human tomorrow. Thank you, Sausage. See you next time. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo Memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.